This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I have lived here for 27 years. I want to welcome all of you listening, those of you who perhaps are very well acquainted with psychological or emotional issues and maybe even in therapy, to those of you who've been initially diagnosed with depression or anxiety or you're having a relationship problem that you just can't seem to wrap around, and even to those of you, and maybe especially to those of you who feel as if there's a stigma to mental illness and seeking treatment is the last thing you do, but maybe you're just curious enough to listen in. Welcome to all of you. I want to thank so gratefully to those of you who've left reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is probably the largest platform where self-work can be heard. But I also want to let you know I'm on iHeartRadio and Spotify if you already listen to podcasts and you could listen into self-work there. Many of you may see the number of reviews and say, well, she doesn't need one more, but I do. As the numbers grow, then more and more people just might be attracted to listen to self-work. So thank you so very much. We're going to be talking about disappointment today, and I'm going to use material from several different sources to aid in this discussion, but mainly the point is, how can you keep it from leading to actual depression? And the listener email for today is from a mom who was very angry with me and who started to cuss me out for writing a post her daughter had sent to her. But she managed, even within the email, to corral her defensiveness and let the words just sit with her as she began to acknowledge what had occurred between them. I was very impressed with her turnaround and wanted to share it with you. So let's talk together about disappointment. We all have disappointment in our lives. Right now, we're going through this time of pandemic when it's been stressed to us that we're all in this together and that the things we're giving up or sacrificing or losing due to the virus is what's necessary to slow down its deadly progress. So many of us have lots for being disappointed right now. Graduations being called off, weddings being postponed, annual festivals and entire sports events wiped off our calendars. What I do know is that some people will manage that disappointment well and others not so well. And in fact, disappointment can lead into depression if you're not careful and aware. So let's talk a little bit more about what gives disappointment the power to lead to depression. I found this article in the Harvard Business Review that described the plight of a man many of us revere, the ones that remember him, or perhaps the ones who've learned about him from watching The Crown on Netflix, Winston Churchill. He was the former Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II, and he struggled greatly with depression his whole life. But I actually didn't know this next story about him, and I quote the Harvard Business Review article. Take Winston Churchill as an example. Again, they're talking about handling disappointment. Early in his career, the disastrous First World War military campaign at Gallipoli forced him to resign from his position as First Lord of the Admiralty. Churchill had come up with a plan, later called Churchill's Folly, to send a fleet through the Dardanelles Strait and capture Constantinople, 
present-day Istanbul, which he predicted would cause Ottoman Turkey to quit the war. But the plan utterly failed, and tens of thousands died. Churchill was disgraced and demoted. To cope with this calamity and the subsequent humiliation, he refocused his attention and energy away from politics. Six months after his demotion, he became an infantry officer and joined the fight in France. During his time out of the political spotlight, he thought through what had happened to him and what it had taught him about dealing with life's challenges. While at first he felt overwhelmed by what he called his black dog of depression, Churchill realized that it was much more constructive to reframe his disappointments as learning experiences in order to be able to cope better in the future and to use disappointment as a catalyst for personal growth. Such soul-searching provided him with new information about himself, the world, and others. And actually, if you want to read this very excellent article, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. I never knew this about Winston Churchill. I thought his story encapsulated exactly what this episode is all about. Why does disappointment happen? Because of expectation. There are certainly those parents or families that teach to their children, if you expect nothing, then you'll never be disappointed. And that's literally true. But it also sets the stage for that child to have a much more pessimistic attitude toward life and perhaps even to go so far as not to risk anything. You can avoid disappointment by never really trying, by never risking, and that can lead to underfunctioning in life, never even allowing yourself to perceive what your potential might be if you tried. How many times have we heard a child say, oh, I don't like school, when that's not the problem? Maybe they don't shine in an academic setting, that's fine. But what if they don't believe they'll ever read as well as their classmates? Or they feel stupid in math. So they say they don't like it. It's an out. But it's an out that can become a lifelong habit of underachievement. So avoidance of positive expectation can turn into a complete lack of believing that good things might happen just as easily as bad or disappointing things. And that's not rational. In fact, there's a whole school of thought in psychology that was founded by a man named Albert Ellis called Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, or REBT. And there are 11 irrational beliefs that his training teaches therapists to help their patients confront their thinking. I always heard the funny story about Albert Ellis that he actually used to fall asleep in sessions because he was a therapist himself. He would fall asleep in sessions if he were bored with what the patient was talking about or he'd walk out of the room or something. He was definitely a literal kind of guy. But there were three of these irrational beliefs that Albert Ellis himself really touted. He said, there are three musts that hold us back. I must do well, you must treat me well, and the world must be easy. Obviously, he would challenge disappointment that lingers and turns into bitterness or pessimism as being irrational. The list of all the others is in your show notes. I'll quickly go through them. I must be loved by everyone or I'm not lovable. I must do everything well or I'm incompetent. I must damn others if they do not treat me well. I must damn life if things do not go well. I must control events and people because they control how I feel. I must worry about anything fearful or risky. I must avoid responsibilities and problems to be comfortable or content. I must depend on others, else my life or self will fall apart. I must be controlled by my past and disturbed by anything that once disturbed me. 
I must damn others' problems and be disturbed by them. I must damn life if I cannot find the perfect answers to human problems. Now, again, I went through those quickly. If you want to read more about them, the link is in the show notes. But then there are those who handle disappointment as meaning they should be ashamed, that you're a failure if your expectations or the expectations of others aren't met. I've talked about this a lot in my work with Perfectly Hidden Depression, that the most dangerous kind of perfectionism is what's called socially prescribed perfectionism. When you're constantly chasing and having to meet the ever-increasing demands of others in order to just be okay, even to feel stable. Research shows this. It's heavily connected with suicidal behavior and is becoming a much larger problem in our culture and in the world. It's almost as if your very sense of worth is intricately entangled in the success of something out that has turned out to be disappointing. And so what follows is that that must be because of you. All the factors why it failed are about you. We can do this so easily. Think about when you've been grieving a relationship and you said to yourself, I wasn't attractive enough or sexy enough or whatever enough for them to stay in the relationship. If you're the one who's laid off at work, I'm a loser. If you don't make a team or you don't score as high on a test, I'm never going to be good enough. Those thoughts come to many of us so readily. So disappointment stinks, but it's given its power by what you tell yourself about it, how you frame it in your own mind. Let's talk a little more about how you begin to reframe disappointment. So you see your part, but you also consider the context and you decide what to learn from that disappointment because that's the gift it brings. Disappointment can give the gift of humility, the gift of patience, the gift of further resolve, if you let it. Let's talk more about the mechanics of that process. I found an article by Dr. Sophie Hinshaw in Psych Central that I really liked. In her article, she divided how you can handle disappointment into five steps. I borrow that letter from her to structure my own thoughts, so thank you, Dr. Hinshaw. But what I have to say about it are my own thoughts. The first step, Dr. Hinshaw says, is managing your emotion. So when you're disappointed, maybe you're mad, hurt, embarrassed, hopeless, sad, all of those feelings are normal and justified. You're grieving. Instead of getting defensive or overly protective or hating that you risked, you can express the feelings that come to you, ride the wave of them, and let them come and go. I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast can look back at something that was highly disappointing at one time in your life, but now doesn't hold that same sting. Maybe you're even glad it happened. It's still important to allow feelings to emerge when that disappointment occurs. Try journaling, talking with others about your feelings. We'll talk in a minute about how to figure out if your actual expectations were justified, but you can still feel what you need to feel. Now, this is not acting on those feelings, mind you. That can lead to more chaos. If you want to get back at whomever you bullied or embarrassed or disappointed you, that's why we talk about managing your emotions, managing the power those emotions have over you. It's the time to ask friends for help and reach out for understanding and support. The second stage is not taking the disappointment personally. You know, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. And sometimes it's you who loses. There's always going to be someone who you admire who seems to have something you'd like to have. But let's go back to what Dr. Ellis said, the very first irrational belief on his quick list of 11 that I gave you. I must be loved by everyone or I'm not lovable. You want to take your part of the responsibility, but there's also a context in which disappointment occurs. And often, that context has nothing to do with you 
let's say you meet someone that you'd like to be friends with. And so you reach out, you text or something, and they don't text you back. You're disappointed. You can say to yourself, I must not be likable. But you haven't really a clue about what's going on in that person's life. Maybe they're arguing constantly with their partner and don't have the energy to put into a startup relationship right now. Maybe they had a friend that dumped them last year, and they're having a hard time grieving about that, so their distrust level is high. Obviously, that has nothing to do with you. In psychology, this is also actually termed locus of control or attribution theory, if you want to get fancy about it. And I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested on attribution theory. The third step is to review your expectations. Grieving is often justified, unless your expectation was irrational in and of itself. Then that's another problem and can be looked at. For example, why did I expect to win the election since I've only attended that school for a month? Or why did I expect my mother to say she's sorry? She's never said it before. I hear this a lot when people are trying to get from someone what they want or need. And I'll suggest to them, you can't go to the hardware store and ask for ice cream. They don't have any. Maybe your friend or your partner or your teacher isn't giving something to you because they don't know how. Maybe you're expecting and wanting something that they're not withholding. They don't have it to give. That's the context. That's why you want to review your expectations and make sure that they're rational. If your expectation is rational, then it's back to step one, grieving and trying to understand the bigger picture. And that's the fourth step, taking a big picture perspective. Now, what does that mean? You have to step back and think about what the disappointment means in your story. What do you want to learn from it? Do you have the irrational thought that this disappointment is going to define you forever? You'll always be the one who got divorced or the one who dropped out of college or the one who whatever. If you learn from the disappointment, it can teach you, as I said before. There are gifts to disappointment in yourself. I've had many a patient say, I used to judge people for doing exactly what I just did. And so what is your disappointment teaching you? It's showing you humility. It's teaching you grace. But if the disappointment is with others, it can teach you caution before jumping into relationships, for example. It can make you a bit more street smart or maybe even offer wisdom. So you want to look for what disappointment can teach you, and that will give you the bigger perspective. The fifth step may be very difficult, but you get up, dust yourself off, take what you've learned, and choose what direction you want to go now. I get so sad for someone when I hear that they allowed a big disappointment to stop them in their tracks. We've all heard stories of the struggles that our own heroes and heroines had early in their life, things that didn't go well or as expected, but they fought on. And you can do that too. Finally, as I was looking for material for this episode, I actually discovered a website page that was full of quotes about disappointment. Some were very eloquent ones from Martin Luther King, for example. Different authors gave their thoughts. But actually the one that just caught my attention immediately was from an actor, Michael J. Fox, who was incredibly successful on TV and in the movies at least 20 years or so ago, but then was diagnosed at a young age with Parkinson's. He and his wife have spent the rest of their lives trying to raise money for research about the disease, and he's continued to act, sometimes even choosing to not take the medicine that quiets the jerking or involuntary movement that can be characteristic of the disease. But what was his quote about disappointment? He says, There's always failure, 
and there's always disappointment, and there's always loss. But the secret is learning from the loss and realizing that none of those holes are vacuums. I love this quote. None of those holes that you fall in are vacuums. You can get out. I'll leave you with these thoughts and hope that when you're disappointed, you'll grieve, decide what responsibility is yours to take and what isn't rational for you to take, to evaluate your own expectations. Could they be deceiving you or are they just? Then you look at the bigger picture and decide what you've learned, and then you can risk again. Here's our listener email for today. My daughter just sent me your podcast on the emotionally abusive mother. Needless to say, my relationship with her is in ruins. First take, no offense, F you, not to her, but you. My next was, oh my God, what have I done to my child? I did the same, if not worse, as my parents. I'm not going to get into that now besides saying I'm every therapist's dream patient. Thank you. I get it. I know my mind and emotions don't work like others. I've recently been trying to come to terms with that and trying to also fight a terminal illness. Realizing that by breathing, meditating, I can assume some control. I can control my pain by thought, even if it's just minutes. It is minutes without pain. It's also allowed me to control the speed and chaos of my thought process. Yet during this time, my daughter is experiencing extreme emotional pain due to the pain I caused her during her childhood. After a complete disconnect for 10 months, she sent me your podcast. I experienced anger, rage, sobbing, regret, guilt for all that I have done to the most important person in my life. My beautiful baby girl, I honestly thought I did better than my mom. Now, maybe not so much. I can only hope and pray we can move forward. I accept my failures. They are on me alone. Yet you have shed a light on my soul, and I don't know if that makes sense. You have opened my mind to her and my pain and how that has affected us both. This email really touched me, and I will have, by the way, the link to the episode on the emotionally abusive mother in your show notes. In fact, it's one of the podcasts and blog post that has done the best. So this obviously reaches a lot of people. I had sort of a brief answer to her, but I really wanted to acknowledge her courage. Hello there. I'm so impressed that you can see things and yourself objectively. I know how hard that is for any of us to do. If my work can serve as a road to some type of understanding between you and your daughter, then I'm more than delighted. Apologies and non-defensiveness can go a long way if she's willing. I applaud your openness, but urge you to work through the shame you might have. It's very hard to break a pattern of hurt, no matter how much you want to break it. It can be done, but it takes a lot of self-awareness and self-discipline and grieving yourself. Good luck to you and to your daughter. Very warmly, Dr. Margaret. I obviously do hope that my work might help this mother and daughter to feel like a team. It sounds like... The mom may not have a lot of time left to fix this or to try to fix it. But if both want it to happen badly enough, I certainly hope that it can. Thank you again for being here. I had the wonderful luck to be on Dr. Caroline Leaf's podcast called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. 
She reaches hundreds of thousands of people, and it has done the book Perfectly Hidden Depression a lot of good, and actually this self-work podcast. So if you're here because of Dr. Leaf, then welcome to you. I do have a book for sale, Perfectly Hidden Depression. It's reached close to the top 20 this week, mostly due again to Dr. Leaf. You can buy the ebook form for under $10, and the paperback is also inexpensive. It's around $11.97, I think, if you buy it on Amazon. Or you actually do get a discount if you buy it from New Harbinger, my publisher. I do believe that reading the book and doing the workbook part of it is a guide away from perfectionism and toward much more self-acceptance and freedom. So let me know if you're reading it and what you think. And please, if you are, leave me a review on Amazon. Thank you so much. If you go to my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, you can subscribe there. And it's an incredibly easy way to keep up with both the blog post and the podcast because you'll receive it each Monday morning in a newsletter. Would love for you to be there. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'm the only one who sees them, and I will read them. I'm not able to answer all of them, but often this subject matter is kind of grouped together, so I will try to choose one that can speak to many of you. I also have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're almost at 2,000 members from all over the world, and it can be a very supportive and warm place. So join us if you'd like. Don't forget to answer the questions. Thank you again for being here. You have my sincere gratitude. Please do take care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self